Greetings, everyone. This is Brian Reisman, host of Side Jams, welcoming you to episode 58, featuring Midjour of Ultravox fame. He's a successful hit songwriter and solo artist. Plus, he was the co-founder of the Band-Aid charity supergroup and the Live Aid and Live 8 music festivals, all of which benefited famine relief. Now, when Midge is not making music or raising awareness for worthy causes, he loves to cook. We're going to be delving into his culinary adventures both in the kitchen and on British cooking shows, plus discuss the tasty cuisine he has enjoyed while traveling the world. If you like this episode, please feel free to subscribe to keep up with future installments. This was my first time interviewing Midge, so at the start, I had to sneak in a few music questions. Enjoy. Thank you for taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's uh, I was seeing you. T- I was seeing you tomorrow night acoustic, which is like my first time seeing you, which will be cool. Um, I was a metal kid in the '80s, so I got a little bit into some of the new wave, new romantic synth pop stuff, and then I went heavy for a few years. Right. <laughs> and then by the late '90s, early 2000s, I'm like, oh, and I love the fact that you worked with Phil Linet and and Thin Lizzy. The fact that you 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 co-wrote a song on uh, Black Rose, and then on top of that, you did Yellow Pearl which the okay. instrumental edit of which became the theme to Top of the Pops for many years back in the 80s, which I was not aware of. So I was like, yeah. You've done your homework. That's, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that, uh, you know, no one's born with a synthesizer in their hands. So <laughs> my guitarist first and foremost. Um, but yeah, this, you know, it's uh, an odd pairing, I think. Uh, you know, I was very lucky. My first, uh, my first journey to... Um, to the states was coming out and, and helping out Thin Lizzy finish off the tour. It was in 1980, right? It was uh, it was 79, I think. Yeah, I think it was 79. Um, so I kind of caught the tail end of that era, uh, which was was quite incredible. You know, it's just uh, you know opening up for Journey and playing those mega domes and stuff. Oh yeah, fabulous. great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I listened to Get Out of Here. As I saw it was on Black Rose, and I and I sit there and I and I think you know there's this propulsion to the bass line. I'm like it's just like a synth line that you know Midge would have in one of any one of his songs. Like, and there's now this whole I know you've heard of the whole synthwave movement that's been going on now, which I discovered through Stranger Things, and that's a retro '80s thing. And now there's a lot of metal guys that like synthwave. Well, you know, it's funny because it's I think all the all the lines are blurred now, aren't they? You know, it's not like you see I'm into this and I'm into that and uh, this is this is my thing and never will I depart yeah. from this. I mean, I, I just saw that, you know, in the UK, uh, we re-released, re-released the VN album, uh, kind of remastered and remixed and whatever. Yeah. And Prog magazine, Prog magazine raved about it. And you think, really? Mm. That's crazy because people, I think they forget the the periphery, the tag that's that's thrust upon you at the time, and then eventually, yeah, they forget all of that, and all they hear is the music. So they either like it or they don't. You know, I, I, I obviously with my, my podcast side I talk about people's hobbies. And I wanted to talk about your cooking because I know you're on Master Chef, but also I was thinking you have a book coming out, correct? You have a book of photographs of the whole Ultravox experience. And it makes me think, is this like Stuart Copeland's documentary of the police where he just shot a lot of footage? Were you just documenting everything with your camera? And then suddenly you're like, oh my God, I've got this history right here. I kind of did. When I joined Ultravox, two of the guys already had 35 millimeter cameras. I'd never had one. And uh, mm-hmm. and I, I fell in love with it and thought, well, this I, I've got I've got to you know when I when I make my first ever money I'm going to buy a camera, and um, and you snap away everything. We we didn't really trust having photographers and journalists travelling with us, 
Um, mm. You know, I, I think we'd had, we'd certainly had a, a love hate relationship with the the music media in the in the UK. Um, so we we didn't feel comfortable with it, but we we ended up taking all the photographs ourselves. Uh, and then uh, I had absolute disregard for looking after <laughs> these things, and they all got damaged and wet, and you know left in uh, yeah. and scratched and all of that stuff. And people don't and forget then, uh, that you could also have your your film ruined if you ran it through airport security because it could be the, the magnetization could actually ruin the the, the negatives. Of course, right. So, well, you know, I'll use that as an excuse. I'll, I'll say that's what happened. Um, but you know, I had to. I, I found all the old photographs again and had them kind of scanned, high res scanned, and tidied them all up and cleaned them up. And there was something really quite nice about it because it's, you know, we all know a photograph's just a, a moment in time, but the, the moments in time that we we captured were really quite spectacular, because you see how quickly things date. You know the equipment we were using, the clothes you were wearing, the the cars in the background. You know, uh, you know, coming out of Japan with a brand new Walkman, and the headphones look ridiculously ancient. You know, so uh, so all of that stuff. It's a little social diary of of that that nineteen eighty yeah. to nineteen eighty five eighty six that kind of period. How many how many photographs total in the book? A couple hundred. Yeah, a couple of hundred. Yeah, two hundred and fifty or something like that. Are there any particular favorites? Any images that you captured that you really like? There's a there's a few. I mean, there's there's one that I managed to capture. Uh, we were in a tiny little plane flying across the mountains in in uh, in New Zealand, and and it was a single prop plane, and it it, it had just dropped about you know five thousand feet just from note. Oh. We thought we were all over wind sharing. Uh, but I managed to get a couple of shots there. I've got a great shot of Billy, the keyboard player. Um, just with the, the mountains, just looking at the, the, the little portal window with the yeah. mountains in the background. It was just it was lovely. Uh, so, um, so yeah, there's a few good shots, some Spandau Valley shots where we used to do television shows together and things. So that, that plane thing is like your almost famous, dramatic, almost famous scene where you're like, I think... It, absolutely, yeah. We're, we're all going to die. You're an undying love for each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, that's, you know, it's... There's, I mean, it's it's amazing. I think about the fact that your music history is like spanning 40, 45, 45 years. I mean, you've got so much stuff, and I'm actually very curious to hear what you're going to play because, like, I'm I'm this guy that's always having this debate with friends of mine. I like to listen to new music by veteran artists. So I was listening to Fragile last night. You know, like I was just listening to Wine and Wood before we we got on. You know, the instrumental which I really like. Yeah, become sounds like classic, uh, ultravox and majeure. And then Starcross is interesting because it makes me think a little bit. Of earlier stuff with a little kind of the electric guitar but then it kind of goes in this sort of more atmospheric direction that's a little more modern sounding like and i like the fact that you're still doing stuff and you're i always love to hear i call it the voice of experience we get older and it, it's it, do you find it's interesting how a lot of fans get married to nostalgia and they don't realize like wow you know there's all these we've actually grown together like we've both gotten older <laughs> things change well, nothing, nothing stands still, you know. We're, you, you just have to look in the mirror to to see that, you know. And we're all we're all on that journey together. But you know, songwriting's a a, a funny thing. It develops, it changes. Uh, you know that you can dip your toe back in the waters of the sounds and the styles that you might have done in the past. You know, and that's yeah. quite fun to do that. But for me, it's all about you know following through. I mean, you just mentioned you know Wyon Wood, the the instrumental that's on that album. In the past 
six months I've just recorded an entire album of instrumental music oh really uh, just because I love it you know I, I can't imagine it's got any kind of commercial uh, appeal whatsoever but for sure. me it's like writing a soundtrack for a movie that doesn't exist it only exists in my head so I've spent the last six months working on that um, as well as you know starting a new orchestrated album and still working on the follow-up to Fragile so wow yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you're just as busy as you were back in the early 80s when you were uh, doing Ultravox yeah, and Massage yeah, yeah, and, and Lizzie. I mean, it's like, and and also, I mean, obviously you're, you're mixing in different sounds. The way with cooking, you mix in different flavors. And I, I, mean, I, was, I was watching that, I think it was, it was round one, it was MasterChef, right? Back in 2007, which is a British cooking show. Um, and I was, I was, I'd actually written down your, uh, you had, I remember here specifically, yeah, you stay, the, I remember they had to do three different tests. First was the, like, the initial kind of, uh, you had like an appetizer and a main dish in the kitchen. Then you had to work in that restaurant in Kensington Gardens. Oh, yeah. And then after that, you had to go back to the, the their official kitchen. And like, I remember you had like the posh pizza, which is your bruschetta. <laughs> was it with, with the chorizo and peppers and goat cheese? Then you had the Thai chicken, I oh, believe. Yeah. And then in the restaurant, it was roasted monkfish with, I, I love this. It was, uh, you had like spinach and uh pine nut risotto lemon spinach and pine nut risotto and then later on the last thing you did was like this oriental sesame chicken salad and japanese the sukiyaki the beef stew with shiitake mushrooms it's like yes. nothing is ever it's not even you take something simple like it's kind of like what you're doing with your music you're just going to add all these extra flavors well, you're not you know, going to make just do a burger <laughs> no 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 you 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 use what you learn and uh you know when you travel the world that's that's one of the joys i remember going to Japan with Thin Lizzy uh, when they were trying out another guitar player they were looking for a, a new permanent replacement yeah uh, I was I was relegated to keyboards uh, for most of the set and then came out with the guitar at the end while they were trying out this other guitarist all right and they all came back with walkmans and little miniature 35 millimeter cameras and I came back with a Japanese cookbook <laughs> <laughs> I was more interested in that how do you how do you do this how do you make this stuff you know well, I mean, obviously you've tra you traveled the world and are there any sort of dishes that you that you love to make that you learned going to other countries? I think you. there's not one specific thing. I think you learn uh, like anything. You learn how to throw things together. You learn how to, uh, you know, combine flavors. Um, and that's and you're quite right. It's just like music. It's 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 no different. Uh, and you literally you become a taste master. That's what it is. When people used to ask me to produce their records, they come to me because they like what I do with my music and they want something similar. They like that combination of drama and atmosphere and texture and you know rock and you know yeah. whatever haunting elements and whatever. So and it's the same it's the same with food. Uh, you know, although I have to say um, that program if there was ever a program designed to put you off cooking, that was the one. Because when you start turning, you know, making food into competition, it, it ceases <laughs> to become interesting to anybody. Now you're going to stand in a field and you're yeah. going to cook a dinner for 30 kids over a candle. You know, you think, what? You know, that's got nothing to do with anything. It's crazy. Well, I mean, I think about that and it's, you know, well, it was tough. And I think for Gemma too, Gemma Atkinson, because she doesn't cook. And you had the foot, you had the soccer player also. Yeah. Yeah, but it was kind of like people from all walks of life, people I'd seen on television, but yeah. never met and things. And I only agreed to do it because they kept asking me if I wanted to go into the jungle 
or if I wanted to do Dancing with the Stars, or I wanted to, and I, oh, yeah. I'm, not, I'm a musician. I'm not interested in this. But that program, in its in its early years, I used to watch on a Sunday afternoon uh, when I was much younger. So I'd followed the program, the progress of the program all the way through. So I thought, yeah, that could be fun doing that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm not hanging up my guitar to go and and start working in a very hot kitchen. I interviewed Jacques Pepin, you know, the French chef who now lives in in the States, and. We were talking about like Hell's Kitchen. He's like, no kitchen's like that. He's like, I've worked in a lot of restaurants. No kitchen actually, no one really behaves like that. And it's funny because I just curse all of these kind of reality competition series because it's even like the whole American Idol paradigm. Everything gets turned, it's heightened. And at the end of the day, I don't, I, I question the talent of a lot of the people I'm actually watching because yeah, you know, it's sort of fun to watch somebody try. I mean, it's interesting to watch people try to ballroom dance because at least it, it's for the ballroom community. That's great. It's great exposure for them. And but by the same token, I'd rather actually watch really good people, you know, yeah, do this. Of, of and course. you get occasionally, like, obviously, you know how to cook. And there's people that have shown up on these shows that know how to dance. Uh, Mario Lopez, who's a, you know, a TV host here. I mean, obviously, he was a good dancer. You know, there's certain people that have proven that they're multifaceted. But sometimes I, I wonder if we're just bringing it down, like you're saying, you're bringing it down a couple notches. And you're also making people go, wow, this, I mean, it isn't, you shouldn't be cooking to be, competing and also be stressed out you should just love it and i imagine you seem actually fairly calm though in that show I, but it, but it's something I, I i do i don't do much outside of whatever music has brought me you know so i it's either production or whatever or, or the photography or whatever it all stems everything stems from music the food didn't the food came from somewhere completely different so when i want to switch off completely mm. that's what i do I, I i do that stuff and also you have to remember that all reality programs aren't real, and no. and the television programs, <laughs> you know, the the they're designed to give you drama. Now you see they heighten the drama. They make everything, you know, it's all going to fall apart tomorrow, and and there's always internal dramas between the people yeah. in there, because all of that stuff is fueled to the fire to get an audience entertained. That's what it's all about. It's not really about finding the next Jimi Hendrix or you know uh, you know any of these talent shows. Or, you know, it's um, it's it's designed to entertain. But you had a good time though. It looked like you were, you were fairly confident, and I, I I have a feeling you've been cooking for a long time. When did you really start cooking? Is it something that went from childhood, or when did you start seriously cooking? I I, I suppose I started doing it when I when I moved from Glasgow, my my hometown, uh, <clears throat> to London. Um, I, I bought a paper grinder, very tall wooden paper grinder, which I'd mm. seen in Italian restaurants. And I, I figured that if I could learn to cook, you know, a, a decent pasta, it might impress the young ladies, which it did. Uh, so it was a, it was purely self-satisfying. <laughs> it was pr- I started off by, by trying to, sh- trying to show that I, I was capable of, of doing stuff. And it just kind of stuck, really. I, I just liked the, the process. But I'd say, ha- having done the program, I don't, I don't do it nearly as much as I used to, because I think it just kind of knocked it out of you. It was, it was like, oh, come on, please, really. It, it got silly because, as I say, it was all about entertaining the masses rather than your cooking skills. You know, as soon as they put a timer on you to make a meal, you think, oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I can do it in forty-five minutes, but it won't be very good, you know. Well, that, I mean, that's where I, you know, you have to. I respect people in the, and chefs who really work hard in the kitchen who have to deal with this influx of orders. I'm sure for you, it was like, oh my god, this is insane. Yeah. yeah, it is insane, and it's so unbelievably hot. Those burners don't go down, 
you know they don't they don't they don't turn them up and down like we do at home on a, on a, on a cooker you know on a stove it's they're just burning and it's just it's intense the whole thing and the and the stuff just getting thrown at you all the time another one another one and then one of these and then one of those and you've got to multitask which I'm not very good at multitasking did you stay in touch with that chef from the that restaurant was it was it the, was it the roof gardens is that what it was called Oh, I can't remember that we we did at every every episode of the series. Um, used, uh, you, you, they they send you to a different restaurant to to work at, and some of them were very pleasant, some of them mm. were great. But they also, you know, from day one, I said I, I don't really do desserts, so they had me <laughs> doing lots of desserts because it's the it's drama. They want to see me flustered and they want to see me fail and whatever. Yeah, but, but the the classic one was uh, was uh, Michel Roux. Um, uh, who said I would have you? I would have you in my kitchen, any time, singing. <laughs> Not well, cooking. <laughs> I was actually thinking, you know, in the past several years, well, the last at least ten years, is this whole VIP experience that a lot of artists, fellow classic artists, have sold. You know, like you have the backstage thing. I think a friend of mine did like a weekend with Peter Murphy, where you got to go to a show or two, and you hung out at some point. And I'm like, so would the mid-jury experience be he cooks you a four-course meal and then you get an acoustic set afterwards <laughs> and like a posh mansion? Would that be like the, the mid-jury culinary music experience? The mid-jury castle experience, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Has anybody actually approached you, to, you about that you ever? A, you have to wear a kilt for the, for the whole thing. Has anybody thought of that with you? Did anybody ever say it? You ought to try that? Oh God, it would drive me crazy. I, 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 I'm, I'm quite, a, I'm quite an insular character, and I, and I, I like to be able to close a door behind me and, and be in my own little space. I think the idea of having anyone hanging around for a, for a couple of days or whatever would just drive me, drive me crazy. So I'm not, I don't think I'd be doing the, the VIP, the mid-year VIP experience. What are your favorite dishes to cook, or what have been your favorite dishes to cook over the years that you go back to? Well, I think I think what came out of that program as the two things that happened. I, I never expected to get through any of the levels, but each time you get through the level, you use another one of your signature dishes. So by the mm. time the series was coming to the end, <laughs> and I was touring it at the same time, so I was out working, and and I'd, I'd ended up just looking up recipes, going, "Well, that looks interesting. I'll just try and do that." Never having tried it before, whereas. The sports uh, personalities who were on there, they were paying professional chefs to teach them how to do one dish brilliantly. So they'd spend all week yeah. learning how to do one brilliant dish because that's what sports people do. They train and they train and they train and they train. Yeah. Until, you know. Well, you practice so, and you practice though, it, right? Oh my God, it's crazy. So I think what came out of it was the fact that I like what they called Asian fusion. You know, I like doing a lot of you know the the, the you know the chicken you know, whatever it was I did yakitori or teriyaki or whatever it was. Um, uh, you know that kind of that kind of, anything. What, what I call anything peasant food, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. I mean lowest yeah. common common denominator. Anything with rice, anything with pasta, anything with noodles. So that and potatoes. That's it. The real basic things. Make something good out of those and you're winning you know well that's what they but, were impressed with how, flash, you know? we had that beef sukiyaki but it was on top of a bed of it was like a, it was like a cup of rice pretty much it was like a bed of rice and the guy's like he shouldn't be doing that but it works yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. i did i did the rice ring yes uh, on the side and it's you know yeah yeah I, I learned a lot as well actually 
Uh, what they what you don't see on camera is the fact that they come round and they taste things and go, mm, just check that a second, check that sauce, and you know, so the chefs are are walking around kind of guiding you like flippers on a pinball machine, just keep you in the keep you going, you keep you in the middle. They want so it to I look good on camera, off. right? Yeah, 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 yeah of course. <laughs> it is true. I know. Reality, there's always that kind of manipulation that goes on. It's funny, I pro- a couple of years ago, I was writing for a food business magazine. And I profiled this, this company called Junzi Kitchen, which started at Yale and is kind of spread into the New York City area with a few locations. And they were explaining to me that they're doing modern Chinese cuisine because the Chinese food that we've had here and probably you've had in England for so long has been the Chinese food from like 30, 40 years ago. So it's the same sweet and sour chicken, beef with broccoli, all this stuff. And they're trying to bring over the newer stuff because that was that wave of immigrants that came over that brought those dishes. They haven't really gone back that much. or not going back to the new food. So um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of modern Chinese or modern Thai dishes. I mean, my girlfriend and I love Thai food, but there's a point to which you can go to one place and I sit there going, you know, this is different from what we've eaten. And I'm wondering if this is actually real Thai food as opposed yeah. to all the other stuff that we've eaten. Well, there's different you, flavor. When you, travel, when you travel the world and, and you, you know, I have it, I've had, you know, Indian food in Russia, uh, you know, or the Indian food in Germany. Yeah. And it's all different. It's all geared towards the local taste. So it changes, and I'm sure it's the same for every type of food. So in Germany, Indian food's not necessarily hot and spicy. It's kind of, it's kind of creamy. It's it's a different. It's got it's mild, and yeah. it's got a different flavor. It's sweet, um, you know. Uh, so, but but if you go to India and have Indian food, it's a whole different ball game. It's a you know. So we get we get something that's geared towards our taste buds, our palates. Well, that's true. I mean, I was actually, I remember visiting some metal bands in Germany. They're like, don't have Mexican food in Germany. No. And and, and, and then, of course, because there aren't that many Mexicans in Germany. Meanwhile, if you want great doner kebab and you're not in Turkey, go to Germany. Because like in Stuttgart, yeah. in Berlin, there's this huge, there's the largest Turkish population outside of their homeland. And so right. you're going to get amazing doner kebab, which you don't get in New York City. I, I haven't found anything to compare to what I had in Germany. And yeah, I mean, I had, a, I had Italian food in Germany and someone said to me, well, you know, I said it was good. He's like, why would you have Italian food in Germany? I'm like, because Italy is nearby and there's actual immigrants that have probably gone to Germany and it was actually good. And pizza in Italy is not the same as American pizza. So is there any any kind of cuisine from one country that you tried in another and that you were actually generally surprised by or that they did an interesting twist on that you didn't expect? Um, not necessarily an interesting twist. I, you know, I remember uh, trying to get Indian food here, uh, you know, 20 30 years ago yeah. was very yeah. difficult uh, in America. It was very difficult finding, you know, Indian food. Now, there's Indian restaurants everywhere and the food, the, the Indian food's really good. Now, whether that's just the fact that, you know, American tastes have changed or uh, yeah. there are more more Indian families uh, living in the States. Because yeah. um, what, what you were talking about earlier about, you know, modern Chinese food, we're starting to see in the UK because Indian food's the, the main food in the UK. It's, it's now it's now they they did a they did a, um, a kind of a, a questionnaire about people going on vacation and what was it they missed most about coming back. You know about yeah. what was left behind in the UK, and it used to be you know sausage and mash or bangers and mash or whatever yeah. it was. You know some very traditional British thing. Now it's a curry, you know. They want to come back for an Indian Indian meal, so um, so that that I've seen a massive difference there, um, where the availability of it is all good, and equally so, I suppose, in Germany when we started touring 
uh, Germany back in the late seventies. Um, uh, you know, trying to find uh, you know good quality food that didn't have a sausage sticking out of it. You know, we had a vegetarian in the band, and uh, and trying to find anything, you'd, you'd you'd order a soup, a vegetable soup, and it would come and it would have a big frankfurter sticking out of it. You know, <laughs> but all of that has changed completely as well. So you can find vegan and gluten free and all of the stuff that you know. It's, it's it's the world's the world's become a smaller place when it comes to food. Are there any, are there any like when you when you cook a meal? Like how much time do you often spend? I mean, I, I get the feeling you're probably not somebody who, I mean, I imagine you probably do whip some things together, but you want to really make a proper meal. How much time do you really spend in the kitchen? If we're having people over, you know, which we we haven't done for a long time because of uh, lockdown, of course. Yeah. If we're having people over and I'm doing uh, like a Thai meal or whatever, a Japanese meal, I'll spend all day preparing it. You know, I mean, mm. you start the day before, you know, getting your shopping list together and, all your elements, and then we've got a big enough work surface that I can lay everything out. I think the the, the pre prep is the important part for me, laying it all out and having you know, the spices are exactly where they're meant to be, and all the stuff is there. And what I learned from the program was tidying up as you go along. You know, you've got to you've got to kind of keep your surfaces clean. So that I will start doing at like ten o'clock in the morning for an eight wow. o'clock in the evening meal, uh, and just just you know pace it and getting the timing right is all. Is very very difficult to do. You're trying to keep everything warm, um, so that you know you, you, you're not fighting for you know oven space. You know your cooker. Do you cook on the road? Do you any, do you bring any kind of things with you? No. Just always eating out. Nothing at all. Um, and and it's it, it's not healthy uh, because on this tour it's it's just me. I, I, it's this is this is the only country in the world that I would do this in. Where I just pack my acoustic guitar and, and head off. Really, uh, and I'm doing everything myself, so I don't I don't have anyone with me. There's no tour manager. There's nothing there, uh, so you end up you end up being reasonably unhealthy. Depending on the venue you're playing, a lot of the venues uh, have you know uh, food facilities, and they will quite happily put food aside for you, uh, so that when you finish, you can eat something. Um, but but it's not the healthiest thing in the world. But then again, it's only a couple of weeks. It's not. It's not. Well, you're going to be at Sydney Vineyard, so they should have pretty good food. I haven't been to Sydney uh, yeah. Winery in a while. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, I was at the uh, I was in the winery last night in uh, in DC, and then the one night before in Philly. So I've been fed really well. Actually, this is quite good. They, they do they do good food. But why is this the only country that you would do a solo tour, literally solo? What makes it What makes America different? In that regard, I, I think it's because um, uh, you know there, there was a there was a massive gap in my because we used to come here uh, with with Ultravox in the early days, and uh, I even did a few a few tours solo wise, and then I think there's something to do with when you when you cease to be with a major record label, you tend to lose all connections, you tend to lose uh, mm. the agents and the promoters and all of that. So I ended up with. Like a twenty-year hole in the middle of, you know, my career, where I never came to the states, and um, and in reality, oh, wow. when I looked I at it long. again, I, 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 yeah, well, yeah, I looked at it again, and I, and I said to an agent who used to be my agent way back in the day, he said, well, you know, we'll we'll come over and we'll do some small, you know, band gigs, pick up some musicians locally and whatever. The, the, I think uh, you have to have a promoter. Uh, who will take the chance 
uh, with you coming with a band because it's such a cost prohibitive thing to do now uh, weirdly I'm, I'm coming back in uh, summer next year um, with Howard Jones and we're doing a we're doing a build together yeah um, so we're we'll doing a band thing then which will be which will be fun but in reality this is the only way I can get to uh, get to America um, on a regular basis every 18 to 18 months to two years uh, is to come out and do the solo thing so is there any any favorite restaurants I should know about any major recommendations, any like good places if I'm out of the country, like in the UK or back in Prague or Spain or? <laughs> well, you know what, I, I, again, um, when, when, I'm, when I'm in Europe these days, if I'm allowed back into Europe now that we've managed to break ourselves away from it, yeah. um, uh, you know, I don't really get the chance to, to go out and, and hang out in restaurants and things. Usually in, and it is a tour, so it's an overnighters, uh, you know, you stop overnight and then you're gone. Uh, and it's very anti-social hours. All the hours that you should be sitting down enjoying a nice meal are the hours that I work. So you know I'm I'm doing the sound check at five o'clock and I don't leave the venue till midnight. So there's no not much chance of sampling the stuff there. But when you go on on vacation, yes, you can you can find some great things. You know I think the the where I live down in the southwest of England in a city called Bath, it's a beautiful old city. It's an old an old Georgian. And Regent uh, Regency Town, sure. um, with, a, with a spa in it. It's tiny. It's very. It's where they film Bridgerton and all of that stuff. All those dreadful programs, but uh, very Jane Austeny. Uh, this beautiful place, and it's got some fantastic restaurants. Simply because of the amount of people we get coming to visit the city, it's got a great range of of uh, of food. Um, so we're very lucky to have it all on our own doorstep. Is there any? dish that you'd like to make? Is there any cuisine you'd like to try something different? I know you're adventurous. I'm curious. Anything that's been on your mind? Well, um, my wife is recently, in the last five years, uh, uh, vegan, and she's also gluten-free. So that sets um, that sets challenges, uh, mm. to say the least, of yeah. what you can do with, with, with that kind of food. And we it's hit and miss, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting a, a good collection of recipes together, um, you know, using tofu and, and, and whatever, because uh, it's easier. I and mean, I'm not vegan, but it's easier for me to cook yeah. something or hard to cook something for the two of us, um, and we just eat the same thing. Um, but any specific thing that I'd like to be able to cook, um, I, haven't, I haven't come across something that that uh, is impossible. I mean, you know, done sushi and stuff, and... Uh, it's learning the process that's the the tricky part, but there's nothing that, that jumps out that um, that I'd, I think I'd, I'd like to do. We were in Portugal uh, a few weeks ago, oh. and we had some um, some Brazilian food, and that was lovely. It was like a Brazilian stew, uh, but it, again, it was vegan and gluten free, but it was like a vegetable stew, and but it's a very specific flavour to it. So I'm going to go and try and maybe find out what that is and see if we can master that. Listen, sir, thank you very much. This is a pleasure. Stay tuned for the next episode of Side Jams featuring Ben Bruce of Asking Alexandria. The Side Jams theme is Rookie of the Year by Bobo Renthley, licensed through Soundstripe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 